1: And I think you guys are going to be super inspired by this guy's story. I mean, even I just learned something new about him before Uh, we started recording here. Uh, He is a testament to the ingenuity and just the passion that I think entrepreneurs bring to the world. And I think as we unpack this and you see everything he's been through and the fight that's in this guy and just the creativity and what they've built, I think you're going to be super inspired by it. So, RT, I appreciate you joining
0: me on the show, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you.
1: Yeah. So we, um, we met recently, you guys probably saw this. If you follow me at all, I went to, uh, an event in Pinehurst, um, North Carolina with a good friend of mine, Kyle Depius yes. And, um, RT was one of the guys that uh, was at the event. And, you know, I talk a lot about the network and just even on a podcast we were recording this morning, one of my mentors always says your network, your network e- equals your net worth. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because, uh, when you have the right network and the right, um, people that are abundant minded. Uh, you know, they tend to connect and and just interweave and you just never know where a relationship's going to go. And I think a lot of times people come from such a scarcity mindset. They don't want to be transparent. They don't want to think abundantly. They don't get into groups like Kyle has put together. And for me, I just can't even imagine it because the minute that I met RT, you know, over a two day event, like I feel like we're, uh, have been friends forever and we get to, you know, we're on a zoom call last night with the group. It's just amazing. So. As a side note, you should check out um, Kyle DePies' event. It's called the Reaching Beyond Experience, but enough of that. Let's get into RT. So RT, who's had the greatest impact on your life?
0: That's a great question, and it's definitely always the same answer for me, and it's my dad. Uh, My my dad is the person, to my recollection, that created the um, lack of limiting beliefs that I have. Um, which is my answer to, I think one of your future questions that, uh, I, I would call my, my superpower is, um, he taught me from a young age that I can do anything I put my mind to Mm -hmm. and he meant, and I mean anything. So, um, definitely my father and, and all the things that he's taught me so far in my life. That's cool.
1: If you could narrow it down to one thing that's had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Is it that,
0: um, you know, I, I think that's, that's the the mindset or the, the lack of limiting beliefs. I just, I have a, a really strong ambition and I don't feel like there's anything between standing between me and what I want to do besides me. And, um, and I just, I, I've never had a, a thought of like, Oh, I can't do that. Or I shouldn't do that. You know, I just, if I have an idea, like the social stick we were talking about, it's just like, all right, Cool. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) Make it happen. That's cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, what was your greatest setback and what'd you learn from it, RT? So in May of
0: 2015, we got sued by the world's largest watch company called the Swatch Group. And that has now we're five and a half years into that legal battle, basically. Um, we won the the trial um in February of twenty twenty. I went to I took them all the way to court. Um, and in September we, um, we actually got the word from the judge that we won. Um, but it was a massive setback because I mean, for, for five years, we were trying to grow a company with a gorilla bullying us, uh, the whole time. And, you know, not only is that, was that a huge waste of legal dollars? Um, but also it was this massive weight of anxiety of like, I wonder if this thing that I've spent my entire adult life building is illegal or um, is wrong. Hmm. And, um, thankfully the federal justice system protected me and us and what we do is not wrong. And my gut was correct the whole time. And, um, we won. Um, but unfortunately, uh, they've already appealed and we're in for another six figures worth of, of fighting financially and and probably another 12 to 18 months of talking to attorneys and, uh, C level executives that, that don't speak perfect English. So it's, um, it's it's interesting
1: (laughs) i definitely want to circle back to that and unpack that but let's get to the fourth question so what's the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most
0: my good friend chris goodman told me this the other day and i don't know who he gives reference to but it's be where your feet are and i've had a lot of of struggle just, just doing that and just like accepting like the here and now and like being fully present with my people or my business or whatever I'm doing on a day to day. And, um, and so I've been trying to to say that to myself and then I've been saying it to a lot of other people, just, just be present, be where your feet are. Mm. And that it's worked really well for me recently.
1: You know, I, I, I put up a a post a while back and a a lot like your guy, I don't even know if I came up with it or where I heard it or what, but, um, the saying is, you know, getting trapped in the future is just as bad as getting trapped in the past. Mm -hmm. And really it's coming back to the same thing that you're talking about. I've been practicing just trying to be present, right? Because when we spend so much time in the future, which, you know, especially visionaries, business owners, entrepreneurs, like we're always thinking about the future, right? And we don't even know if the future is going to exist and all that really matters is today. Right. And, but then there's a lot of people that are stuck in the past too. And they're always talking about the best years of their life being 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So I love what you just said, be where your feet are because that's a practical way for me to think about being present and mm-hmm. that's going to stick with me. So I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into, uh, I, I want to get into the business a little bit because what you do is freaking amazing. The first time I saw your watch, like, I mean, I literally, I got the chills right now. I don't, yeah, like when I see you, when I saw your watch and I, I had seen your watch actually before we even met because we've got a mutual mentor, Chris Harder, that shared your watch at some point in time, six or eight months ago. And I started following you then. And here's the crazy thing. I've always wanted a pocket watch. Hmm. Um, always wanted a pocket watch. But anytime I'd ever look at a pocket watch, I'm like, I'm actually not going to carry this pocket watch around, right? And so tell people what Vortic watches is because I'm in love.
0: Yeah, thanks. So uh, Vortec Watch Company salvages and restores antique American pocket watches and turns them into one-of-a-kind wristwatches. Everything inside the watch is about 100 years old. It's a piece of American history that we completely restore, make functional again, and then mount inside of our custom piece of engineering that turns that old pocket watch into a wristwatch.
1: And it's so cool because just watching the process. I mean, you guys gotta go follow. What what's the Instagram? You got an Instagram page for the watches, right?
0: it's just Vortec Watches and same uh, URL, vortecwatches.com.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it was on that Instagram page. Maybe it was. Yeah, I think it was. Like, you've got videos on there showing, like, you literally take these watches apart and and clean them, strip them down, ref- refinish them, refurbish them, and then build it into a, a wristwatch, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, these old pocket watches, um, to your point earlier, it's like people don't really wear pocket watches or use pocket watches anymore, but millions of them were manufactured in America a hundred years ago. And, you know, a lot of people, it's crazy to me how many people have one, you know, grandpa's pocket watch, great uncle's pocket watch, whatever. And they get passed down generations and people end up just taking them to pawn shops or, or something. Cause they, you know, it's like, it's like, grandma's old jewelry, right? It's like, what do we, what do we really do with this? It's not in style. It's not functional anymore. And, um, and that's how we get them, you know, pawn shops scrap the, the gold or silver case. And then the inside is what we then restore. And so there's probably 200 little gears and springs and screws inside these pocket watches that have to get completely gutted, refurbished, and then put back together. Um, it's similar to restoring an old car it takes a very specialized skill set to do that, um, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of love, and that's why we don't make very many watches. We'll make three to five hundred watches a year, um, and that's also why they're amazing and they're conversation mm. pieces.
1: Yeah, you were telling me about one of your customers that has like a bunch of watches. Like he just keeps buying them. Like it, when you guys see this watch, like you're gonna get it. Like you're gonna understand that it's it's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would definitely recommend, you know, we, we have no inventory right now. I think we just sold our last watch, but, um, it, I would recommend just scrolling through our Instagram and seeing all our past work Like uh, we, uh, for most of this year, we did a watch every day. We called it the watch of the day and every day we'd post a new watch that was for sale. Most of them lasted six to 10 minutes before they sold. Um, but we, we plan on doing that again as soon as we catch up with production. Um, and, and definitely our Instagram is, is almost like a gallery mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's what we try to try to do. Yeah. But the, the coolest and most important part of all that is every single watch is one of a kind. Um, and that's, that's what makes it really fun for me is I'm always selling watches. I'm always talking about watches, but every single unique item is totally different than the last one. And so they all have their own story. They all have all kinds of other ancillary stories. Um, it, it's never, it never feels like the same thing for me or my team. Cause we're always doing, a new project every day.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's really cool. So two things, when I look at this watch, when I look at the backside of the watch, it's clear, right? You can see all the inner workings, which is super cool, right? Mm -hmm. But then what I think is cool, when I was looking at the faces of all these different watches, you literally could have the same style of pocket watch and the faces are patina different and the way they've aged and talk to me about that a little bit.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, so let's take uh, the one that you got is a a Waltham. Um, So Waltham was... Um, the, I would say this, the second largest watch company, they were just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And today Waltham, Massachusetts is still called watch city Hmm. and the factory still exists. They made 40 million pocket watches in that factory from, I think, 1862 to 1959, if I remember correctly. And in that hundred years of production, you know, just like any company now, if they, they probably made a thousand pocket watches with the same dial or face as the one that you chose. But to your point, it's, it's been a hundred years. So those thousand, first of all, 500 of them probably don't exist anymore. They Mm -hmm. were taken for parts or thrown away by some, who knows what, right? And so of the 500 that are left kind of in the world, some Mm -hmm. of them were left on a dashboard of a car got, totally sun damaged. Some of them were, you know, underwater for a little while and got totally rusted out. Some of them were kept almost perfect by a collector in, in a safe and are literally in factory condition still wow. and everything in between. And so that's what makes it really cool and exciting. Cause even when I find something where, yeah, they made a thousand of these a hundred years ago. So there's probably other ones out there, I still every single day I see something that I've never seen before. Wow. And that's what's always awesome. That's so cool. I want to circle back because you said something.
1: The other thing that makes this really unique, I mean, it's not like you can just ship these watches out to India and have these refurbished, right? You were telling me about like the watch, the true watchmaker is kind of like a, a dying skill set, right?
0: Literally. Yeah. So the average age of a watchmaker in the United States is 68 years old. And that is a huge problem, similar to really, I mean, they call it the skilled trade gap. Mm. Um, And it's a problem in the entire United States. There's all the skilled trades, right? Plumbers, electricians, et cetera, et cetera. People don't realize that you can go make a ton of money doing those services um, and you don't have to go to college. Sometimes you barely have to do like one or two years of school. It's like a tech school. Mm -hmm. um, And you come out of these tech schools and you make, just as much as I did with a four four and a half year engineering degree from yeah. from a big school, and so um, you know it, it's it's kind of a shame, but at the same time, we're really trying to to fix that problem. It, it takes, I mean, that's a massive problem to fix, um, and it takes a long time. But that's that's one of the coolest things that that my my business partner Tyler and I get to do as as young men. We get to hopefully inspire other young people to get into watches and realize there, there are huge opportunities in the watch industry. If you want to be a watchmaker and refurbish old pocket watches or fix up, you know, even modern Rolexes, those are really fun jobs Mm. um, and make a ton of money if you do that. And then, you know, all the way to, to CMC manufacturing, we start with a block of titanium and mill it down with all kinds of different, you know, um, tools and equipment and to turn it into a watch case. And, and, and everything in between, there's lots of very highly technical specialized jobs, none of which you need to go to college to do. Um, and so, you know, I think we're, we're a small part, but we're a part of creating that opportunity for our next generation.
1: that's so huge. Did, did you tell me, maybe I'm dreaming, did you tell me you've got some kind of, um, nonprofit or something that you're working, some kind of school system that you're working on or something?
0: Yeah, so um, a couple years ago, we partnered with one of the only schools in the country for watchmaking. It's called the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative, and they teach US military vets how to become watchmakers. Mm. Amazing, amazing nonprofit run by some just truly awesome humans. I was really inspired by them, and I sat down with Sam who runs that facility, and I said, hey, if, if I wanted to start another school and try to expand on your work and train more people. But if I wanted to focus less on, on military vets, cause you got that covered that niche and more on, on young people fresh out of high school, um, would you help? And every person I've asked that question to, you know, would you help? They're like, I mean, yeah, like that's, that's a great idea. You're going to change the lives of the next generation. That's really cool. And so we're, it's all still just talk. You know, it takes a long time to start up a nonprofit and especially start a basically a university. That's what we're working on. Uh-huh. Um, but we call it the um, Vortex School for Advanced Manufacturing. Uh-huh. And we're going to train people on how to be watchmakers because if you can be a watchmaker, you can be a high end electrician, you can be a high end um, technical service person working for you know, designing and assembling Teslas Uh or one of the guys just got a job offer from NASA to assemble all the little things that they have to mess with in the cockpit of, of a space shuttle. Uh You know, you're working with tiny little parts and it has to be perfect every single time. Um, and, and some of these veterans at that school, you know, they were bomb technicians. So it's, it's very similar. It has to be perfect. It literally can blow up in your face. So they're used to that stuff. Um, but our vision is to teach watchmaking and other forms of manufacturing, like CNC machining, um, advanced manufacturing, like 3d printing, uh, to young people who maybe college isn't right for them. And they want to go to a trade school for a couple years and learn a skill. Um, that's our, that's our vision.
1: That's really cool. Let's, um, so I don't know why, but for some reason I've got a lot of military people that listen to my podcast and maybe it's because, you know, I, I don't know why. Um, I've actually had calls with some of them. A lot of them are building funds around helping military families achieve financial freedom. Awesome. Um, big big military following. You have a special edition. We probably should have done this podcast before, but you sold out anyway, so it doesn't matter. But you have a special edition watch that launches every, every year on Veterans Day, right? Yes. Let's talk yeah, about that a little the,
0: bit. Yeah, we call it the military edition. Um, and it's, it's real simple. You can find all kinds of information at vortechwatchescom slash military. Um, and the, the military edition was, was inspired by, and I'm, I'm wearing the prototype. Um, so I can show you, I talk about it, but, uh, this pocket watch inside of this wristwatch, it has a 24 hour dial on it, black face and white hands. And this was a pocket watch that was flown on all the B bombers in world war II. It was called the Master Navigator's Watch, and it was mounted in a little gimbal system with springs all around to protect it from the vibrations of the aircraft. And it was a tool used by the navigators to know what time it was when they're in the sky. And it was it was manufactured all through, through World War II and used by basically all the people in the U.S. Army Air Corps. And um, this company, um, it's called Hamilton Watch Company, and they were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they made 140,000 of these for the military. And we've been collecting them for years. And we can actively get our hands on about 50 pocket watches every year, and we restore them, and then we make this amazing military-inspired case. Uh, So the black case, the crown we even added a red case tube this year. So there's a little red ring around the top um, inspired by the, the red accents on the B-bombers. And then, of course, a, a military canvas uh, strap. This, this canvas was actually cut from a bag that went to Vietnam. Wow. And so we, we tried to honor the legacy and history of this amazing you know piece of military history call it the military edition, and then we donate $500 from the sale of each watch to the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative to literally give back and help them train military vets to become watchmakers.
1: That's so cool. Um, Is there, so again, I mean, obviously, they can't get their hands on this watch this year because it's sold, right? I mean, you sell out on Veterans Day essentially, right?
0: Yeah, we sold, um, so we make 50 a year. This year we made an extra 15 that were an even more special edition um, very limited in 15. So we did 65 launches this year and, um, we sold, I think almost 60 that day. Um, and we've been selling one a week since about, and so as of right now we have one left, but by the time this comes out, it'll be gone. So, um, we, we have a waiting list. You can sign up and, and wait for the next one. And we literally, I mean, it's, we can't find enough pocket watches. It's all about how many we find. Fifty a year is a lot hmm. for us, and so we can't. It doesn't matter how much you want to pay or or right, or whatever. We literally cannot make more. <laughs> That's crazy. Um. So how do people get
1: on that wait list? Since since we're talking about it.
0: Yeah, it's bortekwatches uh, slash military. There's a, a sign up form on the top, and um, you know all all kinds of other information there. Um, and then, you know, if, if that product isn't right for them, um, or for, for anyone that, that has served, um, we, we do a 10% military discount, which is code military uh, for any and all products all the time. That's um, cool. It's, it's the least we can do.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> um, just thinking about this, um, if someone has that particular watch because their grandpa was on a bomber or something, could they send you that watch and have you build them something out of it?
0: Sure thing. Yeah. We, uh, we've had that conversation with several people and, and we reserve a couple um, of the 50 every year to, to do that for, um, I think we had three people um, who had a family heirloom that we converted. Wow. Uh, it's still the same amount of work. So it's, it's still the same, you know, price and mm-hmm. process and everything. Um, but yeah, then obviously the, the piece of history inside their particular watch is still theirs. And that's, even more special
1: yeah that's cool and you could actually do that if my grandpa to say it's not the military edition if my grandpa gave me a watch like I can reach out to you and have a custom watch made right
0: yep and if you want to do that it's as simple as googling convert your watch and uh, we own the seo for anything around that because we're the only company that takes a pocket watch turns into a wristwatch so convert your watch and we'll convert the pocket watch into a wristwatch as a service lots of information on that page
1: that's so cool. So, obviously, this story is so inspiring. I want to back way up and unpackage this. So, because I, I am, you know, just sitting with you at the bar in Pinehurst and hearing this story, like, you guys came up with this in college, right? You and your buddy?
0: Yeah. Tyler and I were um, playing golf one day after class at Penn State. And I think we were, I was a junior, he was a sophomore, something like that. And we had a bunch of ideas around watches. Um, one of them was this crazy thing that basically if you turn the knob of the watch, it would tighten the band around your wrist, similar to like the Boas, you know, ski and snowboard boots. Um, that was the first idea. We actually own a patent on that idea. That's where Vortec comes from vortex and tick tock, like right. Kind of turning yeah. something on your wrist. Um, but we, 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 we pitched that idea to our college professors and like started working with a patent attorney on that first idea and realized it was going to cost a fortune to develop, and we still haven't developed that product yet. And we, we, we may or may not do it. Um, but in the meantime, we stumbled upon the history of these old pocket watches and really started learning about the potential of, of the movements inside those pocket watches and we did that because we really wanted to make whatever we made, we wanted to make a watch, but whatever we made, we wanted it to be made in USA. Like as close to hundred percent made in America as possible. Not for any particular reason, other than we just, it was a challenge. You know, it, nobody was doing that. Nobody seemed to focus on that. It was all Swiss made or made in China, as far as watches are concerned. You know, we, we had this, what, what was one of the best ideas we ever had. And, and we were doing all this research. Um, about, you know, made in America, how can we make the watch in America, all this kind of stuff. And, um, we said, okay, well, why don't we just start with this pocket watch conversion concept and then we can get back to, you know, making maybe the other products later. And so we put that, it's called the American artisan series, our current product on Kickstarter in 2014. And as you know, since then we've sold every single watch we have ever made. Uh, We can't make them fast enough. It end up being a really good idea, and we've never actually had time to make any of the other products that we conceptualized in the golf course back then because this idea just really took off.
1: Such an amazing story, and I want to circle back to, you know, obviously a lot of stuff happened in that journey along the way, but let's talk about the lawsuit a little bit because I think sometimes, you know, RT got this amazing idea and it was all just, you know, roses and everything else. And I mean, you it, it's blood, sweat, and tears, right? I mean, you guys have put a lot of time and energy into this. And then the lawsuit specifically, you know, you were saying it's just such a waste of time. And the thing that I want to point out, we were just having this conversation the other day, because I've got another friend that's getting sued and it's frivolous. The problem is that anybody can sue anybody for anything and, you know, drag your life through the mud for, for forever. So, what has kept you going through that whole process?
0: Yeah, um, fantastic question. I, I would I would say two things. One is I just I don't have limiting beliefs, um, and I just I believe in myself so much, and I know I can do anything. That I have, you know, used that mindset to just push through. And even in the really hard times, um, it took my friends and family to express concern to me, um, and and say, hey, you know, I know you feel really confident in this, and I and I know you, you know, you can do anything, but you're being sued by the world's largest watch company, and you're losing money hand over fist, and you know you're your total potential revenue for your company is is not a much higher number than what they could even sue you for and stuff so it's like is the juice worth the squeeze it's kind of like how my my dad and and my girlfriend at the time were were telling me it's just like you know are you sure you want to keep fighting and and it was it was a huge roller coaster because sometimes i thought we had figured something out with them and we were going to settle, um, you know, cause throughout five years of the lawsuit, there's a lot of back end conversations that, that I can't talk about mm-hmm. um, cause they're protected by the legal process. But, you know, we can talk about the idea that yes, I, I of course, sat down with some of their executives at this big company and said, Hey, I could do this. You could do this. We could do this, you know, and try to figure out a way to settle it mildly amicably, instead of going to trial and doing all these big legal stuff. And um, unfortunately, none of those conversations ended well. Um, I felt like some of them could have, Um, but you know, long story short, it's, it's David and Goliath. They didn't give a single shit about me. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't care about my story. They, they didn't listen when I said, I think if you let me, the stories that I'm telling about your brand would actually help your company. I think we could sell a ton of watches together. Like I, I don't really, I never understood why they came after me so much, especially after I had a chance to explain myself and and share like who I am. Like I'm not a bad person. I'm not just out here to make money. Yeah. You know, at that point, all those conversations I hadn't made money at all. (laughs) We were, we were a startup. We were losing money. Right. It's, there was no profit for them to take if they won this lawsuit. So I was just so confused on every level. Um, but yeah, I mean, it basically, it's all about trademarks, um, to them. So the, the, the company at stake here, the trademark at stake was the Hamilton watch company. Um, Hamilton was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They made millions of pocket watches. They were kind of like the Rolex of America back then. They mm-hmm. made really high-end, really great stuff. And uh, they went out of business in the late 60s, and the trademark was purchased by the Swatch group um, in the early 70s. And so they own the trademark on the word Hamilton, which I never contested. I don't know why I would. Um, but we take Hamilton pocket watches and turn them into wristwatches. And since we restore them all original, it still says Hamilton on the face of what we made as a wristwatch now. And they simply don't like that. They don't like the fact that I make something that has their name on the front, Mm. which I understand at first glance. But once I, you know, all I kept saying was, hey, you tell me where to fly. I will come to you anywhere in the world. Anytime I'll put my product on the table in front of you. Just give me like five minutes to show you what I do. And I think you'll love it. Yeah. And they never gave me that chance. So.
1: It's interesting. And it's a learning experience, I think, because I'm just sitting here thinking about, you know, entrepreneurs in general are so, um, I I mean, we're just crafty, we're creative. And what you did is took something that nobody's ever going to use again, and turned it into a usable product. But I could see where this could be a beneficial learning experience. Not here to talk about the right and wrong, because obviously, you won the lawsuit. But there's other things that I'm thinking out there that, you know, people could find themselves in a potential situation. And so I think it could be a valuable learning experience just to be aware of. Um, So I appreciate you sharing it. Um, It's been, so I'm interested about the tree farm because you put a post up the other day that I thought was brilliant. Like you said, you're betting the farm on yourself, right? So tell me a little bit about the farm and the family history there.
0: Sure. So, um, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm, uh, just outside of Redding, Pennsylvania called DeLong Christmas tree farm. My great grandfather, Charles DeLong started it in 1941. And it was the side hustle of the family for all of those generations. Um, he and my grandfather both worked for the state of Pennsylvania as foresters and they had this tree farm as, as their, you know that's where they lived and and how they made more money than just their their government salary. Um, and at a certain point, my my parents took it over, and I'm an only child. Um, and I grew up farming trees, so I would trim the trees, I would cut the grass between them, I would um, help sell the trees, you know, during uh, Christmas time, and uh, you know, tie them on your car when you left, all that stuff, and. Um, that's how I grew up. That's how I learned my work ethic. Um, uh, my parents, you know, both had full-time jobs, but they came home and my dad after work would mow the grass. And my mom after work would work on the finances and, uh, some of the advertising marketing stuff with my grandparents. And, um, the farm was our, our family business. And, um, unfortunately, you know, my, my parents got divorced in high school. My mom, um, owned the farm at that point And, uh, unfortunately she passed away from cancer in March. Um, and, and I inherited the farm as a 29 year old living in Colorado now, thousands of miles away. Um, and I couldn't, you know, I can't, I can't run a, a Christmas tree farm that far away. It's not feasible. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have, I have one, I have a couple like mantras or things I try to live by now. Uh, my number one thing is would my mom be proud of me? Mm-hmm. And so if, if I'm faced with a hard decision, I just asked myself that question. And if it's yes, then I do it. And if it's no, then I don't, it's that simple. Um, and my mom was actually planning on selling at least part of the farm, like splitting it up because it's 42 acres. It's really, I mean, for one woman, even if she has some help, it's, it's impossible to maintain. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was already kind of in process to sell it. And so I said, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to sell the farm. And I asked myself that question and I, yeah, she, she would be proud of me if I did something really great with that money. And so, um, I'm selling my family farm on December 28th and I'm putting all of that money into my businesses here. I'm going to use some of it, obviously to help, you know, keep protecting myself from this lawsuit because they already appealed and it's lots of time and money left to go um and i'm going to invest the rest of the money in into a building here i'm buying a building in fort collins colorado to put a uh, vortech watch company and my new i just started an advertising agency as like a, a little spin off cuz i have some really great advertising marketing associates and so my two companies are going to go into that building um and my mom uh will be insanely proud of me um because i'm actually going to name that building after her so wow um i am literally betting the farm on myself and uh, i'm going to turn that money into a new legacy for my family
1: man such an amazing story um i appreciate you sharing all that so just for some advice you know you're you're going through this lawsuit you're having challenges in the business you lose your mom who you're obviously very close to how how do you, how do you keep mentally, emotionally? I, I mean, I get that you don't have limiting beliefs, but that doesn't mean you're not human. How, what keeps you going? How do you work through that? Cause people are suffering right now. And I think what you've been through, you know, you're coming out the other side of this, just still guns blazing. What advice do you have for us?
0: Yeah. I think the, one of the big things I learned was to ask for help mm. and, you know, I, I, I can do anything. I, I think if I put my mind to it, I can work through it. Um, but I haven't done any of this stuff alone. I have a, a team of, of not just my employees, you know, I have 10 people that work for me. But um, I, I have my family. Um, I have two little boys that, you know, just their, you know, hugs and screaming daddy, 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 when I get home, like just that obviously raises you up, right? Um, I, I have other people in my life that help and, and our professionals at it, right? I have a therapist, I have a coach, a business coach, um, talking to them and asking for help. Every time I got to a point where I didn't know what to do, I could have probably just figured it out and worked through it. Um, but the times when I, I sat down and said, you know what, I've never done this before. Let me try to find someone I can buy a cup of coffee and see like they did this before and mm-hmm. I can just see how they did it. Um, and the most relevant example is, is when we were basically out of money, I had lost this was about a year ago. I had lost a couple employees, like key employees, um, over basically just something stupid that I did or said, um, I wasn't treating them as well as I could have. Um, and we were, you know, we were losing money, um, from the lawsuit and just, you know, the business wasn't doing as well. Um, and I thought about, you know, and with the advice of my family, I thought about filing for bankruptcy mm-hmm. and, and the pros and cons of that basically shutting the whole business down. Um, cause if you file for bankruptcy, theoretically the lawsuit goes away, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. You just close the business. And, you know, I was, I was 28 at that point. So it's like, okay, I'm only 28. I can just kind of shut this down and do something else with my life and you'll be fine. And I, I sat there on my phone and I Googled Colorado's best bankruptcy attorney. And, um, this guy, um, Rob Lance, who I found through a quick Google search, um, he wasn't the right kind of bankruptcy attorney. He wasn't like the guy that you call to like help. He's a, a litigator. So if you file for bankruptcy, um, falsefully to try to get out of debt or something, he's one of the team that comes after you and tries to uphold the laws around bankruptcy. Hmm. Um, so he's one of those like bulldog litigators. And he told me, I said, I got bad news and good news, bad news. is I'm not the right kind of attorney that you were looking for. Good news is I can help you because you're being bullied. And, um, and he believed in me and I asked for help. The only reason I got there is because I, I asked Google
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> for help. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I found this amazing attorney who, who took it all the way to trial. I didn't pay him a cent between that time and when we went to trial. Um, but he believed in me and, and he knew we could win and we did. Um, and so that's the advice is don't be afraid to ask for help. I, I try, I, I try to take that advice as much as I can. Cause I, I, I mean, every day I have to ask for help every day. I delegate dozens of projects to different people which is asking for help. (laughs) Yeah. So I try to embody that as much as I can.
1: That's so amazing. And I remember you talking about this at breakfast and you, you know, you basically like everybody around you was telling you, you know, quit, give up. Like, and, and you were just, you know, you're feeling this close. And then like so many times in my life, I can think back to this too, but your story is so inspiring because I mean, you, you could have never known that you were just one Google search away from the guy that was going to, You know, come alongside of you. And, you know, I don't want to get woo woo here, but whether it's God or the universe or whatever you believe in, um, sometimes just that tenacity and fighting through, you're just this close to a victory and you don't know it. And I think so many people give up at the 11th hour and you plowed through that. And it's because we can't see the way, right? Like if the way was obvious, it would be so much easier, but it never is because there's got to be some level of faith in our ability and and the universe's ability to help us figure this out and other people's ability. Like you keep, there's this theme, you keep talking about, like asking people for help. Like if we go in our own minds and we live in our own world and we're, it's a rat nest up here. Right. But surrounding yourself with people. And and then even sometimes like, I, I loved what you said, like everybody that you know and trust at times is going to be telling you to give up and you just kept going, man.
0: Yeah. No, it's, which is, which is hard. It's really hard. Um, it's hard to look your, your spouse or your partner in the eye and say, um, I accept your advice. I hear your advice, but no, I'm not going to give up. Um, that's very difficult. Same with, you know, I I started this whole podcast with you saying my, my father had the most impact on me and you know, he never meant it in a bad way, but he asked the question of like, Hey, have you thought about other options? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, you know, and and my mom and my grandmother, you know, who I talked to a lot more at, at that point, um, we're saying the same thing. Like they, nobody said we don't believe in you anymore. They were just saying, "Hey, are you really sure you want to ride this car off the cliff?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was like, "I got a parachute. I'm good." <laughs> um, and, awesome. and, and some people look at that and they're like, "Oh, you're crazy." Um, and it does. You entrepreneurship takes a little bit of just lunacy sometimes. You just have to go. And if you believe so much in this idea or this thing, um, then, then, yeah, I mean, listen, ask for help, listen to the feedback. But sometimes if you still disagree, you just, you kind of have to trust your gut. Yeah. Um, And it's those moments where um, I look back and and those are the moments when I've taken the most risk, um, but I've also gotten the greatest reward just because I I trusted my gut on the thing,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but I didn't make a rash decision, right? I mm-hmm. did. The, I literally Googled, like I should. I should search for this and sure. I should just explore what bankruptcy is like. Like I made a very educated decision
1: mm-hmm.
0: after a lot of research and a lot of asks for help.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and and so you know, to you know, it's like it uh, when you when you summarize it, it sounds all awesome, but that process, you know, was years of stress and hard conversations leading to that one moment where we won. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so inspiring, man. You know, and I think a lot of times we try to avoid pain and suffering and even with our next generation children and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is you are a much more amazing person. You're much stronger. You're much more wise because of everything you've been through. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just love the story around, you're just so passionate about your vision that no matter what's coming at you, you got the, you know hundred pound gorilla or ten thousand pound gorilla coming after you, and you're betting the farm on yourself and I just love that tenacity um, so man, I appreciate your time any final words that you want to um, share with the audience
0: no Mike, it this this has been awesome uh, like I said, I'm just trying to embrace this kind of stuff more mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've always been kind of behind the scenes and mm-hmm. just working hundred hour weeks and and punching the clock and stuff and Um, now that I have an amazing team that does all the day to day work for me, I feel like my job can be this. I Uh can be an evangelist for my company, just like, you know, my mom, uh, was a preacher. Uh Um, and, and again, like, what am I doing to, to make my mom proud, you know, um, preaching about my business and my people and my passion, um makes me proud of myself. So I'm sure it would make her proud. That's
1: so awesome, man. I really appreciate your time. It's an inspiring story. Um how about finding you? We've talked all about Vortic watches. Is that can we find you somewhere?
0: For sure. Yeah. Um Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, it's just R T like Robert Thomas Custer, C-U-S-T-E-R. Uh so at R T Custer slash R T Custer on those. Cool, platform.
1: man. Yeah, I appreciate your time and energy, man. It's such an inspiring story. So keep going. Um, my, my watch is on the way. So I'll share it with you guys, um, on Instagram. As soon as I get it, I'm so excited. Maybe I'll just share it the day that the podcast launches, but do it, amazing product guys. You got to go check it out. So thanks for your story, RT.
0: Thank you. Talk to you soon.
1: If you found value in this episode and you know, someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners.